Good morning. You pray with me. <clears throat> Father, I pray your spirit would direct my words and direct our minds and hearts to your words. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, some of you recall that uh, my wife, Karen, preached last week, so we're sort of doing tag team uh, these couple of weeks. I'm always happy to be following Karen uh, in the preaching rota because I rarely go wrong when I follow her lead in ministry. I have to uh, confess that when John Hare asked me to preach and reminded me that it would be on Trinity Sunday, I sort of had this inward groan. Not that it's the preacher's job to explain all of the mysteries of the triune God, but as I was discussing with Ellendale last week, we're actually joking about it. The risk of saying something heretical about the Trinity runs very high. But be that as it may, we are mindful of one fact which distinguishes a Christian understanding of God, that ultimate reality is relational, communal. So when we read from 1 John that God is love, we know that within God's own three-person being, love is manifest. And when we hear Jesus's words to Nicodemus, which we just read from John 3, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, we know that this relational God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, stands at the center of our very existence and our hope. The good news of the gospel is Trinitarian. But this morning, I'm going to follow Karen's lead and focus on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in particular. It's interesting to me how much this came out even in our lectionary readings this morning. Last Sunday, Karen especially emphasized his work in us. The courage, conviction, and comfort he brings us as those who have been sealed in Christ by him. And which Paul reiterates in our passage from Romans, when he assures us, you have received a spirit of adoption. Such that when we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This week, I'd like to dwell upon the Spirit's work through us, particularly as this regards our witness to Christ and his gospel. Now, in both respects, his work in us and through us, as those indwelt and baptized by the Spirit, I want to affirm one remarkable truth. This birth from above that Jesus describes to Nicodemus makes us something new. We are all spirit people. Wherever we go, whatever our circumstances, the spirit of God lives in us. Before sharing more about the Holy Spirit's work of witness through us, especially from some of my own experiences, let me begin with two affirmations. First, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is always and everywhere one, including in his divine work in the world. Jesus, from whom we get much of our Trinitarian affirmation and language, 
indicated this in his own ministry while dwelling physically on earth. On one occasion recorded in John 5, for example, Jesus responds to the offense some had taken at a miracle he had performed on the Sabbath, telling them, my father is always at work and I myself am working. And again, whatever the father does, the son does also. When Jesus later announces his departure at his last meal with his disciples uh, in John 14, he elaborates on this united work with his father, including the work that God will do in them. I am in the father and the father is in me, he tells them. And you in me and I in you and we will make our abode with you. Then explaining why it is that to their advantage that he leave them physically, he clarifies that it is so the helper, the comforter, that is the spirit of truth will come to them and who he assures them also will be in you. Now here Jesus does begin to designate specific works of the Holy Spirit still in union with the Father and the Son. To use the language of the Nicene Creed, the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And his work especially involves glorifying the Son in the world. And it is this work of witness to Christ and the gospel and all of its many manifestations that constitute the greater works that Jesus says we will do and do so by the power that the Holy Spirit gives us, which Karen spoke of last week. So the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is always and everywhere in unison, and it is the work specifically ascribed to the Holy Spirit to comfort us and to carry forward the work of Christ in the world as his witnesses. Again, as God's spirit people. Second affirmation. The Holy Spirit is constantly and everywhere at work in the world and in the lives of human beings to draw them to God. When so, whenever someone asks me, what about those who have never heard? I always answer first, I don't know. But then secondly, I ask them, how do you know they haven't? What do we know of how the Holy Spirit may be working in their lives? Looking once more at our passage from John 3, Jesus, in speaking of spiritual birth, tells Nicodemus, the wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Yes, remarkably, the principal means by which the Spirit bears witness to Jesus is through believers, through you and me. More on that presently. But it would be absurd to suppose that his work of holding forth and glorifying Jesus Christ is limited to what we do. We are in that wind, but we do not contain or control it. Indeed, we assume the opposite. And the countless examples of this from around the globe and throughout history testify to that wide and wild work of the Spirit in people throughout the world. As the one who, according to Jesus, convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, and shows the world 
that God so loved us that he gave us his only son. Our part, our privilege is to be the son's ambassadors, as Paul calls us. With the full assurance of the love of our triune God that the spirit confirms in us as children, we are, as Paul said of himself and his fellow laborers, servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And what is required of us is our availability, our faithfulness as spirit people, wherever we are. Confident that the Holy Spirit is constantly and everywhere at work. We are, as Paul says, to walk by him. Or as the theologian J.I. Packer translates the phrase, to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, there are so many ways that the Holy Spirit bears witness to Christ and his vision of life through us, in our relationships with others, through our work, through our, our labors for justice, through our creativity and our art, and through our words. We don't talk a lot about this, so I, I wanted to share just a few examples from my own life of how the Holy Spirit has involved me in bearing witness to the gospel with those who did not yet believe. When I was in college, I used to walk across a long bridge. It was, I called it my prayer bridge. I would go out there to contemplate. And on one particular occasion, I was walking across the bridge and I noticed a young man, uh, a little older than me, maybe in his 20s, obviously not a student. He looked sort of disheveled, a little disoriented. And I walked past him, continuing to pray. And I heard that still small prompting voice that Karen spoke of last week, urging me to speak to him. So I went back and I told him, I think God wants me to speak to you. And we began a conversation about faith, but soon on, soon into that conversation, he interrupted me, he said, wait a sec, he said, I, I have something on me that is no part of this conversation. I need to get rid of it. So I thought, oh, I wonder what that might be. And then he asked me if I would go down to the creek that was below the bridge so that he could dispose of this thing. And I'm thinking, gun, knife, drugs. So we get down to the creek and he crouches beside it and I crouch next to him. And he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a piece of plastic. And as he unfurls it, I see that it's a pentagram that he had been using to cast spells. And completely unprompted by me, he holds it up, he pulls out a lighter, lights it, and says, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Satan, I renounce you. And drops it into the, into the water. And I asked him, do you want to receive Jesus now? And he said, yes, I do. I never saw him again. I felt like Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. Fast forward several years later, I was leading a team on a mission trip to the former Soviet Union. We were there as tourists 
but had other purposes. And one of our stops was in the, the town of Yalta in the Ukraine, right there in the Black Sea. And we were uh, staying in a resort hotel. In fact, there were three other groups of Americans, each of us in the same room on different floors in this hotel. We knew that we were being watched all the time. The second night I was there, I walked out onto this large veranda thinking, well, you know, I'll just go and see what happens. And I noticed uh, two men standing in the shadows smoking. So I walked over to them and I asked them, do you speak English? Now, that was one of like five phrases I had memorized. Uh, phrases like, my name is David, or where is the toilet? Um, I think one time I mixed those up and said, or something like that. But the point is, if in asking them, do you speak English, they had said, yet, the conversation would have ended there. But they did speak English. And we began uh, to talk that evening and spent the next few days with them. Their names were Vova and Yuri. And over the course of those days, we talked about faith. Uh, we also just enjoyed a lot of time with each other. And then we left. Several years later, I got a letter from Vova. He was in Tianek, New Jersey. And he wrote to ask if I would come to see him. So I was married by then. So Karen and I went down uh, to see Vova. And uh, when we saw each other, we embraced. And he said, David, I want to tell you two things. First, I am now convinced that you do not work for the CIA. <laughs> Apparently, that was one of the suspicions they had when we were there. But second, he told me, I want you to know I have become a Christian. We have no idea of all the potential outcomes when we step out in faith and in step with the Holy Spirit to speak of Christ to others. That's the adventure of it. And each of us has some small part to play. Fast forward again. I am at Durfee's Sweet Shop on old campus, if any of you have been in Durfee's Sweet Shop. And I struck up a, a conversation with a freshman named Larry. Larry doesn't mind if I share this with you. And immediately as we began to talk about spiritual things, Larry said, look, I'm an atheist. I don't believe any of this stuff. I don't buy any of this stuff. But we kept talking and, and this, change came over Larry over the course of the conversation. And finally, we came to a point when he was so enamored of what we are talking about. I asked him, do you want to receive Christ right now? And there in Derpy's sweet shop on the Yale old campus, he bowed his head and received Christ. And Larry became a leader in our ministry at Yale. Eventually, he became a lawyer. Eventually, his work took him to China for years. So I kind of lost touch with him. But just a couple of years ago, we, we finally reconnected. And he said, hey, I, I, want, I want to tell you something. Uh, when I was in China, I met a young man 
And I talked to him about Christ and he came to faith. And believe it or not, he's become something of an evangelist. In fact, he recently told me that the Lord has used him to see some 600 or more people come to faith. Uh, so Larry said to me, I just want you to know, those are your spiritual great-grandchildren. We don't know all of the outcomes of our witness to others. And more often than not, the results aren't so dramatic. We're just part of a journey in people's lives. One last story, I, I attend faculty dinners from time to time on the Yale campus. And I always pray before I go to these dinners, Lord, if you want me to have a conversation, I'm willing to do that. That is a conversation that involves faith. Usually that doesn't happen, sometimes it does. And on one occasion in particular, I introduced myself to a Yale professor and I told him who I was. And he said, you know, that's interesting. I was at the funeral of a friend this past weekend. And there was a lot of talk about hope and resurrection and life after death. But I'm an atheist. But what struck me is that as an atheist, I don't have anything to say to death. And that began a conversation with this professor that continued, has continued now for years. He now considers himself a Christian theist. I'm not, he's not entirely sure about the Jesus thing, as he's told me. In fact, I just saw him yesterday at another gathering, and we're meeting uh, for coffee in a few days. Last week, Karen made the observation that we are all now part of God's story. What happened at Pentecost is our legacy, is now the story we carry forward today. Together with believers from every nation, from every tribe and tongue. All of us through the centuries share the same mission, whatever specific roles we may play in it. As Jesus declared just before his ascension, our mission is to make disciples of all the nations. To which, of course, he added this Trinitarian instruction, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In these same final moments of his earthly ministry, when Jesus told his disciples that they would receive power from the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses, he added that the scope of this mission was boundless. It was to be to the remotest parts of the earth. And here we find another legacy in this story, a legacy of faithfulness. Thousands of miles and thousands of years from that moment, that witness came to a lost and lonely 17-year-old boy who had never even been to church but who was yearning to know, why am I in this world? It was a dear friend who simply made himself available and told me a story I had never heard. 
As I said earlier, there are so many different ways that we hold forth Christ to the world. Bearing witness to the gospel is a vision of life through our relationships, our work, our activism, our creativity, and through our words. Again, just before Jesus ascended, he summed up our calling as individuals and as a church. He declared, you are my witnesses. The only response that he wants from us is the one Isaiah gave. From the passage we read earlier. Feeling utterly inadequate, but then touched dramatically by God. In answer to the question, who will go for us? Isaiah said simply, here I am. Send me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.